Well, let's open in prayer again, because we can, I can use more prayer, we can all use more prayer. <laughs> Lord, as we ready our hearts to learn from your word tonight, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Amen. If you had to pick one song that most strongly evokes worship for you, what song would it be? Some of you are thinking, I've heard Abby ask me that question recently, and you did. Um, I've been doing an informal poll over the last couple of weeks, and ever since Chris asked me to preach, and I decided to preach on the song, Love Come Down. Um, and I asked some of you what songs remind us of, uh, remind you of our church. Now, I wasn't expecting this, but literally everyone gave me a different answer. <laughs> Our songs as a church are as varied as we are. It's Be Thou My Vision and Canticle of the Turning, My Story and God's Highway, House of God Forever and the Goodness of God. In today's message, as you've guessed, we will be looking at a song, Love Come Down. It's one that's close to many of our hearts. We celebrated with it um, for Easter 2020. And it's one that I particularly love. And it's very timely right now. It's an Easter song. Now, in this Easter season, as we're celebrating what God did in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, songs can help us remember and internalize the story. Our songs can help explain the Bible and the events of the, our lives and the world. Songs can be subtle in how catchy they are, like how many of us have been going through something and a song just seems to hit you right where you're at? Or the line of a song you already knew speaks to you in a new way. But songs aren't only a way to remember. They can also help us form a response to what we've experienced and what we read in the Bible. That's as true if you're singing someone else's words, as we often do, <laughs> or if you wrote the song yourself. But when it's someone else's words, it's important to stop and think about what we're singing both so that we're aware of what the songs are teaching us, but also because singing can also be a form of meditating on the scriptures. By reframing what we know, songs can lead us into fresh joy in the gospel regarding texts that are already deeply familiar. So today we'll be honing in on the chorus of Love Come Down, particularly that line, I will sing forever of your love come down. Even if you don't sing like the extended worship remix, you know, Bethel music, whoop-dee-doo version of this song, you still sing that first line eight times. But singing forever is a lot of singing, you guys. Like, that's so much singing. I like to sing, and that seems like a lot. <laughs> so why is this good news? There's a lot of answers to that question in this song. It's a very rich song. You should think about it more later. Um, but I'm going to point us to two biblical passages, um, well, just biblical passages that trace two main themes in the biblical story. And those themes are creation and dwelling. These themes aren't separate, they're more like two strands, or the two sides of a strand of DNA, and they kind of twist together. And in tandem, they are proclaiming God's life and his hope for us, today and in the future. So, first theme is creation, specifically God's promise of a new creation, which I can't hear new creation right now and not think of all the things bursting into flower like I can see like three trees from here, <laughs> you know. We have a live example of new creation right outside our doors. 
Talking about your love come down immediately reminds me of John 1, which Lori Louise just read for us. The word became flesh, for God so loved the world. John 1 talks about the incarnation of the word, Jesus. The passage also deliberately evokes the creation account in Genesis 1, but it reframes it to account for the presence and the creative work of the pre-existent Christ. In his incarnation, Jesus is the firstborn of a new creation that God promised for his people back in the Old Testament through the prophets. At one point in history, just see if you can imagine this, at one point in history, God's people were divided on almost every level, politically, ideologically, theologically, and into that situation, God gave a vision to the prophet Ezekiel. Now, in this vision, there's a valley full of bones, and they're dry. Ezekiel says they're very dry. They've been there a long time, and they're scattered everywhere. And God speaks. He says he will tell the bones that they have breath and tendons and flesh and skin, And when they have life, they will know that he is the Lord. And you know what happens next? The bones start rattling and forming into skeletons. And they get tendons and muscles and everything gets wrapped in skin. And God gives them breath and they come to life. Kind of a weird image. (laughs) Ezekiel says they're a vast army. But then comes the plot twist. God says that the bones are his people. They were dead without any hope. God says he will bring them out of their graves and give them new life. And God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Out of an impossible, hopeless-seeming situation, God breaks in with impossible life, with new life for his people. We see a similar promise in Isaiah 65. God says, see, I will create new heavens and new earth. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be no more. Which brings us to our main passage um, for this evening, which is in Revelation 21. A few words first. Revelation can feel daunting to read, but a few guidelines can help us approach the passage we're about to look at. Namely, we need to remember that Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which doesn't just mean it's about the end times. It means its distinctive thing is usually visions that reveal divine secrets, which may or may not talk about the future. Apocalyptic literature is trying to describe a world that's more real than the one we can see. It reminds us that we can hear and see, but that's not all there is. But Revelation is also a letter. It's written to the early church, to real people in the midst of real suffering. It was probably written about the 90s AD, which means that the emperor Domitian was in power. The thing you need to know about Domitian is that he demanded to be worshiped as a god while he was alive, which did result in some persecution, as you might imagine, when Christians didn't want to worship him. But Revelation not only calls persecuted Christians to stay strong, it also calls Christians who weren't persecuted to be firm in their faith rather than fade into the cultural background behind them. What we can take from this is, first off, that God sees the particulars of our lives and takes our situation seriously. 
The symbols in Revelation would have spoken to its original readers in particular ways. But we don't have to know the original meaning of every single symbol to grasp some of the book's main messages for us. Namely, that it calls us, like its original readers, to focus on what is truly important. And what's truly important in Revelation is following God. So, we'll turn to Revelation 21, to the vision that's depicted there. I should have looked up the page number for the Pew Bible. Does somebody know what page it's on? 12552. 12552. Thank you. If you want to look it up. In Revelation 21, we get the following picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That wasn't Isaiah, but did you catch the echoes? A new heaven and a new earth, it's the same language. Other Jewish texts of the biblical era also talk about the new creation. Some paint it as a totally new creation, others describe it as a renewal of the original creation. But what we can see in Revelation is that creation is to be valued. It's renewed in the future. It has a prominent place in the picture of the future that God gives to his people to hope for. All of this is why we can think of something as embodied as a song we'll sing for all of time, why we can talk about a future of redemption and salvation, because we know that God sees us in our createdness. He sees the suffering and the brokenness of our world because he values the world and he values us, and he is going to make it what it should be, going to make it more real. God in heaven heard my plea, and Jesus, Jesus rescued me. It's because God cares about creation, where we are, that, this is the second theme, God promises to dwell with us, to come to us in our createdness. This is part of why the Easter story is so amazing. This promise to dwell with us isn't just a future promise, but one God has already fulfilled and continues to fulfill now through his spirit's presence with us. In this song, as we sing about singing forever, we remember that he promises to dwell with us even more fully in the future. In both John 1 and Revelation 21, there's a word, skene. It's the Greek word translated in John 1.14 as took up residence or dwelled, and it's a reference to the Old Testament tabernacle where the visible glory of God's presence resided with his people. John is essentially saying that the glory of God that dwelled among his people in the Old Testament is the same glory that's present in Jesus, in a person. And he lived among us. But this also isn't an idea that arrives with Jesus. The dry bones vision in Ezekiel 37 culminates with another promise. God says, I will put my sanctuary among my people forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Listen for the echoes in a much later vision of John, God's future with his people, uh, found in the next section of Revelation 21. And this will be a little bit longer passage. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, his tabernacle, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. It is done. God's dwelling place is among his people. It's that word again, skene. God's tabernacle, his glory, his presence is among his people. And we see in this passage that God's presence means comfort for them. His presence means community. It is new life because of what he has done and what he will continue to do out of his love. So, we've traced the threads of the biblical narrative that show God creating and sending his son into that creation to live among his people. And we've read the prophet's visions of God tabernacling and giving his people new life. We've seen how the visions in Revelation show us that these projects of investing in creation and dwelling among his people are part of God's long game for the future. Remember what I said earlier about songs helping us interpret but also internalize the story? As we think about how to apply these themes in our lives, I would suggest that application is fundamentally about how the gospel gets inside us because that's how it truly shapes what we do. So in some sense, singing is the application. The song that we are looking at even reinforces that, like that's the main repeated line, I will sing forever. We can sing in response to what God has done for us and in so doing, worship him. Further, if we were going to boil down Revelation's application takeaways somehow, it would be to worship God. All of the different churches Revelation addresses with their varying contexts, all of the strange and scary and beautiful symbols of victory and judgment, they're all circling around the central point that God deserves our worship. And God's presence dwelling among us amidst all of our different individual contexts His presence renews us to serve him, yes, but first and foremost, to worship him. So back to our original question. How is it good news that I will sing forever of your love come down? Well, worshiping our incarnate, risen, dwelling with us God is good news in three ways. First, when we sing these worship songs, this one and all the others we sing, (laughs) we're reminding ourselves here and now of God's promises and that we believe them. This can give us hope. Our future hope is rooted in what God has already done. Our songs and our stories are part of the larger, longer ones of God's work in the world. 
in and among his people. And this is what we repeat to ourselves over and over to remind ourselves. I know that I can easily forget, and I know that's true of all of us in our own ways. So let me remind you now. We were lost in darkness. Jesus came into the world, and he pulled us out of that darkness. In response, we will sing forever of his love come down in the new creation, in God's presence, because of what God did through Jesus at Easter. But worship is also good news because it's a form of resistance in the face of the brokenness of our world. It's back to that idea from apocalyptic literature that proclaims what is truer than what we can immediately see and hear. Again, this is not because we're ignoring or downplaying the reality of suffering or chaos or anything else about the creation around us. But we are on the leading edge of the resistance when we proclaim that God is working even in the brokenness. In worship, we declare that the brokenness is not bigger than he is. Not now, not in the future. Finally, as we worship and declare God's renewing work, we can take comfort. First off, because, as Revelation reminds us, God doesn't intend to leave us in the present world forever. In the new creation, his presence will be comforting. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Friends, we can rest in that promise. But second, we can take comfort because God calls us into community now, what our Revelation passage describes as the new Jerusalem and the bride of Christ. Community matters not just because isolation is bad for humans, as we all know, thanks to COVID, but because as we read the word and preach and sing, we're reminding each other of what we believe. We're pointing each other back to God's goodness and his love and his promises. We're sharing glimpses of how we see him working. And we carry each other through life's ups and downs, reminding each other to hope. Each of us in God's choir here can say, I will sing forever of your love come down, but really it's we will sing forever. Each of us singing to each other and to God, proclaiming his love. Amen.